Hello and welcome to the Points of Brew podcast. It's episode 32 and I'm your host Stephen Carter. I'm continuing to play with the podcast and keep things fresh, so I hope you like the new intro and like the new transition of including this episode too. I've also upgraded the website, so if you get a chance to check it out, it will be massively appreciated. It's now www.pointsofbrew.beer. Now, on to this episode. This time, I'm joined by owner and brewer of Grizzly Grains, Sam Bennett. Sam and I first met last year at a beer meet in Sheffield organised by virtual beer school host Natalia Watson. Sam showed me the sights and sounds of Sheffield as we made our way from the Hop Hideout, the St Mars of the Desert, and then over to Shakespeare's Bar and Pub. Before the show, I managed to have a sneak peek behind the scenes at Grizzly Grains set up, as Sam kindly gave me a box of beers before we recorded. As Sam discusses in the show, it is a one-man band and very small scale, but still manages to keep supplying the demand in his local area of Sheffield. And I can definitely confirm that after seeing his setup, he is very, very small batch in what is a, a growing, bigger, craft beer world and scene and massive beer drinking city of Sheffield. I hope you'll enjoy this episode as Sam and I discuss what it's like to be a small producer in a growing craft beer market. And here I am with Sam now. Right, so welcome everyone. I am joined by Sam Bennett, owner and brewer for Grizzly Grains. Sam, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing this evening? You okay? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for thanks for having me on. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for uh, for joining me. So um, we have met, albeit twice, the second time very, very shortly this time, haven't we? So we uh, we originally yeah. met as part of our uh, beer meet up in Sheffield after doing the beer school course with Natalia Watson. And I think we pretty much spent all day just chatting about Sheffield really because you were like a little tour guide weren't you taking us around Sheffield it's like you like you taking us around your, your backyard for all your favorite drinking spots yeah I mean I have a feeling I pointed out things that were the slightly less than interesting uh as we as we walked but we will walk from walk from hop hideout right in the center out to mm. out to smod which is like through pretty much every industrial estate Sheffield's got to offer cat or be glitz and glamour mate Cat or be glitz and glamour you got to set the roof with the smooth but no it's it's I keep saying it, Sheffield's still relatively new to me. I've I went to Heist, which we just chat about on offer um the other week. But apart from that and the the meetup that we had in December, was it start of December, end of November? Yeah. Apart from that, I've I've still really not been to Sheffield. So but yes, I appreciated you being an unofficial designated tour guide as we walked down by the canal and taught us all the all the sights and sounds of Sheffield. But um, so yes, yeah, Sam, thank you for joining. I uh, I have got a, a beer in the glass, which I am uh, I've already started tucking into. But whilst I slowly sip away on this, do you want to tell us about who you are, what Grizzly Grains is, and how it came to be, and and the name behind it? Yeah, so um, I I own and do everything at Grizzly Grains. It's a very very small microbrewery. Um, currently in very much the centre of Sheffield, just a few minutes walk from the train station. Um, prior to this, I worked for a, a charity, um, so it's quite a big, a big change. Um, I've not got any previous experience in the industry really, apart from drinking, uh, but that doesn't really qualify you to make uh, to make beer. Um, but I've homebrewed, homebrewed for a, for a long time. Um, I, I think it's sort of sixteen years or so of, of homebrewing on various scales um so i think i just decided i think probably lockdown all the lockdowns got something to do with it decided it was time to to jump in and do something something a bit different um sort of things aligned so i, I got offered um 
what's now my pilot kit, which is a, a sort of it's either a massive homebrew kit or a very, 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 very small brewing kit. Um, so I thought I'd just give it a go, set up with HMRC and get all my licenses. And then uh, and the plan was just to see what see what happened, really. But this I mean, that was all decided like pre lockdown. And the original plan was just to brew on a really tiny scale and see if it was good enough, see if anybody wanted to buy it. Mm. Um, and then lockdown sort of accelerated things. And I, I knew a brewer in Sheffield who was wanting to get rid of his kit. So then it all happened very, very quickly. And now I've got a, a an actual microbrewery in an industrial unit. And uh, here we are. Well, the rest is history, so they say. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting that you say though that in in many respects, obviously COVID and the whole lockdown situation has been terrible um, for many many people. But that that has accelerated your journey into it's actually progressed the brewery rather than sort of putting a, a hold on things and say, oh well, now's not the time. It's kind of interesting that that has actually made you sort of grab it, you know, grab the bull by the horns and and take it and run with it and just go, yeah, let's let let's do it and and see where we are. Yeah, I mean, I may, I may well eat my words in a, in in the near future, but um, <laughs> it, opening a brewery in lockdown was was dreadful, and mm. and so many pubs and bars and things have have struggled, and I've seen a fair few closing in Sheffield, and um, a lot of breweries seem to in Sheffield at least seem to have done okay. Um, but yeah, it was not the not the ideal time to be opening a brewery because I mean my first beer came out I think January 2020. Yeah, January 2020. I think I got like three beers because I was only brewing like every couple of weeks. Mm. I got three beers out into pubs, and then and then then, <laughs> then they were all shut. Yeah. Um, so yeah it was it was it was strange a strange time but I, then when do we we move, moved into the premises that i'm in now um about eight months ago or so mm. um i moved the bigger kit in got it all set up and now i think the first the first beer came out in july from memory and uh it's not gone too bad i mean since then really December and January have been horrendously slow and everybody you speak to is just not having a fun uh, a fun time of it this this month so a roll on yeah. roll on spring and hopefully people getting back to pubs and yeah yeah going out and enjoying a pint or glad two. to see the back of January yeah 100% mate it feels like it's been the the slowest and the the driest January on record really especially in the on trade um, you know, like you say, if the, the the bars and the pubs that you speak to, obviously the the whole political steer of December was don't go out if you want to see Christmas, stay at home, you know, and and choose wisely where you where you do and don't go, and that inevitably had a knock on effect on a lot of places that were like, well, you know, especially in lead up to Christmas, and like that then you know the the whole Mad Friday thing of last weekend before before Christmas, places were empty, you know, and it's like they should they should be rammed, you know, that the, these places rely on December to to keep them buoyant through January and to a certain extent February until it gets, like you say, to the warmer weather, spring, when people are more inclined to come out rather than going out in the cold and after they have to have got the bit of the hangover for Christmas and 
dry January and New Year's resolutions and going back to the gym and being healthier and blah blah blah. But but that's that that's not really happened this year, has it? So I completely understand where you're coming from. But in in light of what you said there, is that you were obviously looking to supply pubs and things to start with. Were you at all geared up to do small pack and bottles at all, or was it just kind of you were gearing for the the whole cask and, and keg market from the outset? No, I mean I wasn't I wasn't geared up for anything except cask to begin with. And then what I ended up doing was um, carrying on brewing sort of fortnightly-ish, putting things in cask. And then um, I was I was filling bagging of boxes um, mm-hmm. directly from cask and then doing home delivery with them. I mean, on the scale I was, I was I, I, there was never any plan to make any money. And most of it was sort of within about two miles of, of where I live. But it was nice to get it to keep beer sort of moving and it, it, it let me sort of build the build the name a little bit. Um, so through the first lockdown, that's what I did. Um, and I shifted a fair bit of beer, I mean, considering the scale I was. And then when when things were lifted again, I carried on carried on doing cask uh, and I got started to get it back out into um, the pubs I was selling to before and some new pubs. Um, and then obviously we quite quickly ended up in the lockdown again. Yeah. So uh, that time I switched to bottling everything. I think I think I just steered clear of doing anything in in cast to everything went in bottles. Mm. And I just started supplying bottle shops in uh, in Sheffield. I mean, part of the reason for that was that because of the bigger breweries at that time round were able to do more home deliveries and more small pack. There was sort of less. There was a lot less demand for people wanting. Um, sort of the what I was doing yeah at that time so I started bottling things and then bottled all through winter winter 2020 into 21 and then sort of I can't I think it was about I think it was February March last year when when I started to get things back in pubs and then I started to do bits of keg um and by that time I'd sort of knew what was where the brewery was heading and the the bigger kit and looking for a new premises mm. so I, I kept doing bottle runs because it was it was nice to get things into bottle shops um sheffield's got some fantastic little um specialist bottle shops so it was nice to nice to get things out yeah yeah um out in small pack uh, and then carried on doing cask and keg and yeah then the time came to take on the premises sacking me job and um, go all in. Jump in with two feet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why not? Why not, mate? Yeah. Hopefully it t- it'll turn out to be a good idea. Yeah, fingers crossed for you, mate. Fingers crossed. But So before you moved into the um, the, the premises where you're currently at then, were you just doing it from home in a, in a garage or was it just... Yeah, we, our house is on a hill, so our our cellar is, is not actually underground. So I set up... Right, okay. Um, I set up in our cellar um mm. got everything signed off hmrc came out and like did their interview and got this tiny tiny little brewery under the house mm. we're, we're really lucky where we live we we live in in walkley in sheffield but um part of walkley that backs right on to um an area called Rivlin valley so it's just all woods and trees uh, out the back of our garden so it's a nice it was a nice spot to be sort of working 
working from and yeah it was uh, it was pretty good fun Although I, i'm not sure how many friends i made sort of filling the house with the smell of brewing every week I'd, I'd have to live next door if somebody was brewing, but that's me personally involved in the beer scene. But I know it's not no, it's not to everyone's taste. Yeah, I mean, if you really, really like the smell of hops with your breakfast, then then mm. you, you might enjoy it. But yeah, it's not to everyone's taste. No, it's we we're where we are. We live near um, a popcorn factory, and I know that's not to everyone's taste. So I imagine it's sort of a a more neutral smell of sort of popcorn being produced compared to beer. It's like it's already dividing opinion where we are anyway so so no it yeah it, it's not the sort of the cleanest or the uh tidiest of jobs is it like you say it kind of impacts people even sort of like can be aroma and things like that it's yeah you can't please everybody though mate can you you can't please everybody so no no and it, uh, yeah it was it was a good start it was uh it was it was fun fun to do and then uh yeah I'm, I'm, we're, in, we're in a good spot now mm. uh, really close to city center so it's ideal for Ideal for getting in and then getting getting beer out. I've not got miles to drive. I've got within like two mile radius of the brewery. I've got so many, so many pubs to 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 deliver to. I mean, we really are spoiled in Sheffield for for the quality of quality of pubs that we've got. Yeah, yeah. No, I was surprised how sort of close proximity you were when I when I came to stop by on the way to Heist. Um, when I when I picked up the beers that you you kindly uh, you'd boxed up ready for me, I was surprised at how close you are to the city centre. And like you say, you're literally a stone's throw away from a high volume of pubs that you know that you you clearly do deliver to. And it's nice that you don't have to worry about oh, I'm going to have to trek all the way to Leeds or York or Huddersfield or wherever. That it's just like well, at, at most I might be an hour's round trip, and I just go around Sheffield and. And that's it, and I'm I'm back to the back to the uh, the site and the brewery, aren't you? So it's 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 pretty good how you've got that little niche and that little pocket of, of places that, that do take the beer. So we'll we'll move on to onto the beer. That seems like a good place to uh, to jump on. Um, like I say, the the beers that you you kindly gave to me, which I've, I'm tucking into one as we speak. So the first one that I jumped on board with is the Pale Ale, the Pine Martin. Uh, which is the four point three percent English pale ale. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so you just want to tell us a little bit about about that, and I'm guessing it's a safe bet to assume that, given it's an English pale ale, it's hopped with English hops. Yeah, just English hops. I mean, it's it's not it's not a big hoppy thing. It's pretty it's pretty mellow, really. I mean, the, the whole point of it was always to be just a nice English session pale. It's only ever on cask. Doesn't get bold. Doesn't go in keg. And as far as my core beers go, which isn't very far, mm. um, that's one of them. So yeah, I mean, it's not it, it's not a complicated beer. It's not it's never gonna like it's never gonna win awards. It's never gonna it's never gonna like have queues down the street for people trying to buy it. But it's it's that it's it's must a staple beer. It, it it's easy to drink. It's it's not complicated. Um, it's hopped with. Mm. Um, Admiral in the boil, and then it's hopped with um, first gold at the end of the boil, just in a hop stand. There's no dry hopping, so it's yeah, it's nice and simple, just English hops. Don't know what more to say. I mean, sales is a strong point. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's quite it's quite funny you say it though. There's there's it, obviously in this world, in this crafty world, it's like you say everyone's sort of waiting for beers that blow their heads off or oh my god it's best beer in the world and and blah 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 but 
there's something quite sophisticated about beers or you know about simple beers and beers that are overstated and just do a job do you know what i mean it's you know you want a a nice pale ale that you can go and go to the pub and have a couple of pints of and it's not going to be too complex or too heavy or you know it's like too floral or too yeah. something that cost you like 15 pound for for two mm. of them it's yeah yeah i mean when I, when I started thinking about the brewery i was like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna open a i'm gonna open a craft brewery i'm gonna do loads of beers in in keg and they're all gonna be really hoppy and then the further i go with this i'm like actually i'm really happy being much more of a trad cast led brewery Sheffield is so um, cask led. Eighty percent, maybe, of what I put out is cask, and I'm I'm well chuffed with that. It's brilliant, like to be able to shift so much fresh beer um, to these pubs that just really specialise in in cask is brilliant. Like, I really like it. Not to say some of them are get are like pushing the hops a bit more or or a bit daft in some way like i can still get get some uh, some modern beers out but pine mine was never one of the first things i brewed either i mean it, it's it's come sort of much later uh, on in the, in the beers mm. but it's uh, it's one that um, keeps getting it's probably on its third brew now i think which for for my beers is that's like that's like almost regular it's regular to call it a car beer anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think it's only my stout that gets brewed that's been brewed more often than that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're they're the two. My two. I've got two core beers. And that that's the sign of what what this world is about, though, isn't it? You know, especially sort of your size as well. That obviously you, you don't have the scale to be able to have constant beers in production to have a, a core range. But obviously, in this world, people are like well. The ticking a box out the, the, the I've had that one I've had that one I've had that one so I suppose in some respects the the ability to be able to do that on the the scale that you're at is that you can turn your hand at something different or something new and say well I'll chuck another batch of pine martin in as and when you know there's a demand for it and it's sort of run out everywhere yeah. that I've supplied already but in between you can I mean if you've got pubs and tap rooms and things then then yeah you want to have you want to have some staples mm. going through but for me and as a brewer it's brilliant like to to just to be able to keep keep changing up i mean there's so there's so many hops out there so many styles there's so many malts like uh it's nice to just keep keep trying new things i mean even if it's just keeping the same grain bill and just swapping the hops Mm. out uh each time yeah well i think i think that's a fair comment would be that a lot of sort of pales or ipas across the board carry the same sort of backbone genetically for a malt base don't they you know a lot of them would be yeah. the malt base is x and then it's just a, a case of the y is well you put hop different hops in the boil and dry hop it differently with different hops and at different rates but i think we're kind of at that stage now where most people are sort of or most breweries should i say have cracked that sort of well this is the malt base we need to make a decent pale or a decent ipa or even a stout to, to a certain extent of well don't fix it if it ain't broke sort of thing you know just stick with that and we'll just tweak it ever slightly with the hops and, and different additions there instead yeah i mean my um my malt bills aren't generally simple mm. I, I i sort of i always prefer more malt led beers i'm not i'm definitely not a hop chaser mm. um so like even my pails i've probably got four malts in so i i yeah that's the bit that i um i can't rein in 
So yeah, my whether or not it benefits them, but um, when it gets down to like only having three malts in the malt bill, I get a bit nervous. I think I think I better chuck something else in as well. <laughs> Stop panicking. Well, like, like you said, though, that's a sign of, of where you are. And, and this was one of the topics that we, we had for discussion is that Sheffield is such a traditional cask-led city. If that's what sells in your area and that's what is in demand and that's what people want, and especially if it's what you enjoy yourself as well, which I think is always a th- an interesting conversation to have with brewers and brewery owners is that do you make the brewers make what they enjoy or do they just make what sells and how do they manage that balance of which way do they go? But thankfully, in your situation, you prefer a more malt-driven pale or IPA, whereas in Sheffield, where it's cask-dominant over keg and sort of really hazy, juicy, hoppy beers, you're almost on a bit of a, a win-win there, right? Because you can make what A sells and B that you prefer to drink anyway. Yeah, I mean, Sheffield's definitely uh, pale, pale ale-led. That's what everybody drinks as a brewer that wants to that dreams of running a brewery that only brews stout and mild. Um, Sheffield's not the ideal city for uh, <laughs> for, for, not. for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's it is great to be uh, be brewing beers with a bit of a modern sort of lean that mostly go into casket. Mm. It's uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, that's it. And obviously, in the likes of Sheffield, you know, you've got a plenty of different breweries there but obviously sort of the, the biggest and most renowned one would be Avidale for example that have been going for 26 years now I think is it I think they've been going for around that sort of time now but obviously their moonshine is yeah it's probably their 26 yeah so obviously moonshine's their their core cask beer which again is a pale ale that everyone just laps up in Sheffield and it's it's not gonna like you say probably in today's standard it's not going to win awards or blow anybody away but people have got to know Abidale on that beer as soon as they say see moonshine on a bar anywhere, it's like, yeah, I'll have a pint of that. You know, that they just gravitate towards yeah. that. They just want the safety net and the comfort blanket of, well, I want a decent pint, so I'm gonna go for that. And I, I sort of pin this pine martin in the same sort of bracket as that. That like you say, it's just a nice, simple pint, but that simple's not a, a negative connotation. It's just you can just have a couple of pints of that and it'll be really nice. And I imagine that driven through a sparkler in a pub that I give it an extra dimension, a bit of body, but you get that sort of characteristic English sort of pale ale, a bit of earthiness, a bit of sort of savoury and umami notes coming through, but you could easily sit and drink that in a pub garden and just sip away and two or three pints would go down far too yeah. easily. Yeah, you're not going to be sat there like trying to work out what on mm. earth it tastes of. It's it's definitely, yeah, like say, summer beer gardens, sitting with, sitting with people you want to sit with and yeah, just having a mm. having a few. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quite pleased at how it how it's come out. I think the main challenge for me will be trying to brew it again without fiddling with the recipe. Um, <laughs> I'll, we'll see when it when it comes out comes out again, probably in mm. the summer at, at at some point. Well, fingers crossed. Hopefully, the demand and as we at the back end of January as as we're recording this this evening that the demand is is only going to increase for you as we sort of move into February, March, and April into the the warmer months. And like you say, we go into spring and towards Easter. Then hopefully that'll that'll continue and the demand will um, will go up. But in terms of your style, which we've, we've discussed there, but obviously that sort of leans itself to to cask over keg. Do you think sort of Sheffield will stay that way? Because it's it's been that way for so long now that the vast majority of people will always lean towards cask 
over keg and have that sort of more traditional stroke real ale underlying sort of backbone and sort of accept a bit of keg but the the core and the the majority will be the the cask beers over anything else i don't know i mean various places on the internet you you read things people saying oh yeah cask is dead but i think that's that's not the case it's not i mean it's not what i see Mm. with my with like my own sales i think i think some places i sell to this sort of i think places want to keep their keg lines for for some of the bigger craft names um and bringing in more interesting stuff and keeping it and and then obviously with cask you want it to be stuff that's going to turn over a bit a bit faster and i don't really know if, if i'm honest um i feel like i'm in a position without because i haven't got this like defined core range if the market does change a bit i'm able to move about Mm. bit brew brew different stuff package it differently so i mean quite a flexible position for for what i brew and what i output Mm. all my beers generally well not all of them but um a lot of my a lot of my beers get packaged in cask and keg all my kegs are keg conditioned as well so they're all exactly the same beer to keep the keeps the camera tickers happy (laughs) <laughs> Mainly that's just because of the limitations in my brew, uh, my brewing setup. Yeah. So I, I do have I do have a fair bit of keg, um, and the odd brew, the odd beer gets put much much more of it will get kegged over over cask. It just mm-hmm. depends depends what it is depends depends what what my sales are like what I've already got. Yeah. So I mean I don't plan like my whole year of brewing isn't planned out. I've got like the next period of time planned out but then it's then oh if if i want to change it i can change it but through my main my main brew kit because i keep my small kit running as well through my main brew kit is mainly Mm. hoppy pale ales because that's the sort of the main thing that i'm that i'm able to sell it's what most people want to buy and then sort of do other stuff goes through the big kit as well and then i keep the keep the pilot kit going for sort of these one-off very niche small batch bottle runs or one-off beers for collaborations or events and things so i mean i'm brewing tomorrow a very a small batch of a german roggen beer which is a essentially a hefeweizen but instead of wheat it's entirely rye so i think this i think the one we're brewing tomorrow i think it's gonna be 52 percent rye with some other grains just to sort of um complement what's going to be quite a strong rye flavor in it should mm. be uh yeah. should be quite an interesting beer once it uh once it comes out but i mean there's no way i can make cask after cask or keg after keg of that because it's so niche and i'm so small yeah but it's nice yeah, to have the small kit and have i've got enough sort of bottle outlets that um mm. that will take something a bit weird that I can um that we can experiment a bit well I, th- I think that again it's sort of the the double-edged sword almost of the the scale that you are is that you can make that small batch of something that's a bit off the wall and something that you think oh I'll give that like the rogan beer that you talked about there or in the box of beers you gave me there's the the rauk beer in there as well which obviously is a smoke the smoked beer which again is a sort of a divisive style and something that not everybody will either see or necessarily taste so it's kind of that ability to make those 
one-offs or different things that allows you to experiment but then people are always going to be intrigued in some some aspect of either buying it in the bottles or buying it at the bar that I've not seen one of them before or I've not had one in a while or something quite rare you know that it'll always get somebody intrigued to think oh I'm going to try that yeah you know I think that's the the beauty of this world as much as anything that people are looking for that that's something a little different than just another pale or an IPA or a stout is they want something a bit unique that they can they say they've tried and, and give it a whirl. Yeah, I, I brewed sort of saisons last year and each one was fruited with some uh, organic Sheffield grown fruit. One of them was uh, a quince saison, which never made it into bottle because it um, that went into cask and keg, a 6% quince saison. There's... Uh, there's a pub called Shakespeare's, which I think we went to when, when you were over last last year. Yes, we did. Um, yeah, we did, yeah. Which they always have an absolutely phenomenal lineup of beer. And they have an they have an annual uh, beer festival for their for their birthday. So last year they had 30 casks. Every single one was either super rare or a complete one-off, or a beer that isn't normally put in cask, it's normally kegged or canned or something. And so there was there was just this absolutely bonkers range of um, of cask beer. I mean that's in addition to the like the I don't know eight can't remember how many cask lines they've got like eight cask lines and sort of ten keg lines as well. And then they've got these thirty completely uh, completely one off beers in cask for the for the event. So got to have a cask of quince saison on it on there which uh, seems to go down pretty well. And then I kegged some of it and that went to a, went on the bar at a meet the brewer I did um, in middle of, well, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, which was good. It's, it's nice to be able to, to get the slightly more daft stuff out in, in different formats as well. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. And, and it's, it's that availability and sort of willingness, I suppose, as much as anything for sort of pubs and, and bars and, and tap rooms maybe to, to take beers that are from the likes of yourselves that are still sort of relatively new and not as well established as the sort of the bigger brewers that are out there in the local area that they're willing to to give you a chance to to showcase what you can do and, and like you say the the saisons and things that you do that have got that sort of unique hook about them like you say that they're, they're organic and I think you mentioned the one of the ones that you're making at the moment that's at the breweries otherwise the fruit that was invo- included in it would have just gone to waste so it's nice that you can almost have that that organic element of the environmental aspect of yeah I work, I work with a um a sort of social enterprise organization that um their, their main um source of income is a is a veg box that mm. they run and they do they use the brewery um, or they used the brewery last year every week for I think seven weeks to um, press apples that people in the community bring them in exchange for juice. Um, so they're using the brewery space to to do that every week, which was really great, um, a nice little project. And then we you I, I took a load of the apple pulp left over from the pressing, and that went straight into a batch of one of the saisons um, fermented on the on the apple pulp. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they all of the waste from that goes into composting on their growing sites and and stuff. So it's it's not too too much waste. But then the other one, um, Sheffield Organic Growers, are a big organic food growing um, organizer. Well, I say big. They're not. They've got eleven acres. They're not. not huge. They're not like 
<laughs> massive yeah i mean they're not harvesting harvesting things with tractors they're they're small everything's by mm. hand but it's all organic really really nice site out in the south of sheffield they've got a fruit fruit orchard as part of the site and they're growing um some cooking pears which they never really had a, a market for so um i know that the chap that runs the that runs the sort of fruit fruit side of it so i, I got talking to him at an event um and sort of a, an urban agriculture event in sheffield last year and uh, ended up going down towards the end of last year and picking all these pears that they were growing uh, organic cooking pears that he hasn't got a market for because people don't really want cooking pears mm. um i think that the varieties that i've got they have to be cooked for about two hours wow. before they're before they're edible they're <laughs> They're really heritage varieties. So I think I think it got about 20 kilos, and that's gone into a, a pear and rye saison, which is uh, coming out in a couple of weeks. Well, no, it's not. It's coming out of fermenter in a couple of weeks. It'll be going for sale uh, a few weeks after that once it's had some time in the in the bottle but that's a that's that's definitely won't ever be brewed again it's it's an eight and a half percent saison with rye and these like amazing cooking pears in it so it's it's definitely not a not a normal uh a normal beer but like i know these organic food growers sort of from my previous work and then you can't help look at sort of little earth the things they're doing yeah just get a little bit inspired to, to link up having a brewery and having access to some of this amazing produce that people are growing in Sheffield. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's the one of the other things that sort of come out of lockdown in these last two years is the locality of what people are buying, what they're eating, what they're drinking, where, where they source. Everything from now is that it's more shop independent, shop local, buy local, drink local, eat local, whatever it might be. And certainly from an environmental piece as well, because obviously as, as everyone who drinks beer probably knows, is that the beer process or the beer making process is such a wasteful and inefficient process that even if you can use ingredients that are being recycled or upcycled or whatever it may be, if you can do something to kind of offset the wastage of the water the malt, the hops, whatever it might be, if you can do even just a small percentage just to kind of reduce your impact on the environment, it all helps, doesn't it? You know, all, it all adds up. Yeah, I think I think if if a bit of a, a move to people being a bit more connected with work, the stuff they're eating and drinking, if, if anything like that comes out of lockdown, then, then it's, a, it's a very, it's a small win. But there is, I mean, there's a, there's a huge disconnect between what people are consuming and, and their knowledge of of where how it's been made or where it's come from mm. so if i can if i can do a little bit to help steer people to to like sheffield organic growers um so all the veg they grow goes into box schemes so you can have fresh fruit organic fruit and veg delivered to your house every week if i can steer people towards that a little bit then uh, then that's that's great i mean that's that's what that's what what you want I mean, in lock, the first sort of bits of lockdown, I was doing home delivery beer and um, somebody I know was doing sourdough and going around delivering it to people's doorsteps and some coffee makers local locally were doing um, the same with, with, with coffee beans. Mm. And we all ended up delivering to like each other's houses 
uh, as well. So I worked with the coffee people and we did a couple of test brews, beers with coffee in. So I put one out, be the end of 2020, I think. Mm. Sort of bottle and cask stout with coffee, loads of chocolate malt and whole roasted hazelnuts. And then with the the chap that's making the bread, we did a beer, which I think you've got a bottle of, which... Bread October, is it? Hunt for Bread October. Yeah, it's Hunt for Bread October, Mm. which is um, a beer entirely fermented on a rye sourdough starter, which was a bit of a experiment to see what would happen. I think it was the first beer brewed in the new premises. I'll have to just double check. I think it was brewed like the day before I brewed the first proper batch mm. on the new brew kit. I mean, if all beers to start with, that's a, um, that's a bold move. It's a bold move. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> like, so I, my local is a little bottle shop, craft beer bar, um, but they've got, they've got six keg lines and two cask lines on. So they, they have, they always have a good range. And it's a friend of mine that, that runs it at the moment that I, I sort of know from years ago and then he suddenly popped up running my local and then uh, Pete who makes the bread he drinks there and there as well so it was a sort of byproduct of of an evening in the bar like what would happen if we put all the starter in the beer um so I said well let's just let's let's do it there's only one way to find out yeah um there's only a really small batch four kilos of sourdough starter which is quite a monstrous amount of sourdough starter and then i think it took six weeks to ferment very 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 slowly and that was through like the through spring last year so it wasn't i mean it wasn't cold and then the the flavor of it's just changed phenomenally over time i mean at the end of the six weeks we sort of knew that it was going to be um sour I thought it might come out as just a bit of a funky pale ale and that we'd have to pitch yeast halfway through to get it to finish uh, fermenting out. But it just kept going and going and going on whatever was living in the uh, in the sourdough starter. Then, yeah, came out as a just over 6% sour beer, effectively. I'd never had any plans at all to brew any sour beers, but I quite like that I've ended up brewing a sour beer through completely obscure means um i'm i'm we're the three of us that are involved in in the collaboration really really chuffed with uh how it's come out Mm. so i gave a i gave a ball to natalia watson who runs the um virtual beer school and she said it's not as complicated as a lambic but it's more complicated than a kettle sour so that's its tagline now (laughs) It's uh, use that as part of the the advertising and the branding for for any future future launches or anything. Yeah, so we we, we are planning to brew it again. Um, the original plan was to brew it um, mm. seasonally because the sourdough star behaves differently through the yeah. year. So because it's got no additional yeast or anything added to it, it's really 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 lowly low hopping. I think it's got two IBUs, and it's not mm. dry hopped either. So the it's got quite a fruity flavour. That's just from whatever's living in the sourdough, the bacteria and the yeast that's in the sourdough. So the plan was to yeah brew it, it seasonally to see how the difference in ambient temperature affected the the flavour that we were getting out of the sourdough. So the, there's plans to brew it again at some mm. point in the future. Uh, it's just fitting in and 
only just sold sort of the the last of the first batch. Yeah. So watch this space for more daft bread beers. <laughs> I think it's one of them things that, like you say, it's one of one of those ideas or projects that just comes out of an idea that's written on back of a, a fag packet or a beer mat from having some pints and what should we do with this and see what happens and then trying it and how it turns out is how it turns out. You know, and like you say, we're we're working with yeast as it is anyway. It's it's a living thing. It how it turns out will be what it will be, but especially when it's a a sourdough recipe that again is a a complex thing to to master and and control it, it's not an easy thing to work with and i can't imagine there's probably many other people that have, have used a sourdough starter to either look up and say can you give me any advice on this because i imagine it's quite a, a unique thing and it's just a case of well we'll just have to yeah we're see. aware of two so there's um wild beer i've mm. done one which i, I mean isn't that surprising that they've that they've yeah. done one? Um, and the what I've forgotten now, but uh, we we were aware of a of another one as well. So I mean, yeah, three. I mean, I've never claimed to be like we're definitely not the first to do it. Yeah, I mean, anybody that brews things, well, you, you have the thoughts of whatever. I mean, whatever it is, it's like can I can I make booze out of this? Hmm. So yeah, there's there's, def- there's definitely other ones. I'm very proud of ours, though. I think it's uh, I think it's come out come out pretty good. No, I I love a a good sour and being sour in a in a different way from from using a sourdough yeast and and sort of using that to ferment it. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to to trying it and the sort of the complexities and sort of trying to unpick it a little bit. And if uh, if it gets a good review from Natalia, then then it, it it must be good. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to very, it. Very very pleased that uh, that she liked it. No, I, I would be, mate. I would be. Right. So we're back, and we have got one of said saisons in front of us, Sam. So we are both drinking the same one. We have both got the yeah. apple saison in front of us, which you kindly gave me in the in the box of beers that you sent over. And I just said before we started recording. I am just getting apples on the nose of this yeah. one. Saisons and me don't always see eye to eye, but I think based on the smell, I can I can get on board with this one. Yeah, they, I mean, as a yeah, as a style, they seem to be uh, a little bit divisive. I don't know how true to sort of classic saison style mine are, but like, I mean, saison Dupont isn't isn't a sort of a real sort of punch in the face beer. I, I mean, I know when I was home brewing. We were in a we were in a, a club that used to meet a pub in Sheffield, and people would come with saisons, and they they fermented them at like thirty five degrees, and they were just this complete sort of spicy estery yeast fest. I think that's not necessarily the best thing in the world. No. <laughs> yeah, and this has come the, the the apple ones quite well received by. I had uh, some events in the run up to Christmas of. Uh, where I basically had people in the brewery ran a little bar and the apple saison was quite well received by people that weren't really keen for like a a hoppy pale ale or uh, any of the very sort of beery beers mm. I suppose that the, the trendy beers yeah or the <laughs> I think everything was a bit everything was a bit craft at that event there wasn't much sort of trad there was a lot of cask but mm. a lot of my sort of hoppier hoppier beers on but the apple saison was went down well with people that didn't want that people that weren't yeah. really after a big beer i think the because of the the all the apple aroma that you get off it it's much more drinks 
a bit more like a cider, but you've got that mm. body from it being a beer. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm a big fan of saison yeast. I think I, I really like really like saisons. I think I think we briefly touched on this when when I came over and picked the beers up last week. Is that it's the it's the funkiness and the sort of real sort of uniquity of the the style that is not what I always get on with, which that's part of the style I understand and, and get that. I'm not sort of angry because it's, you know, I don't like it and it's my own fault. I drink a saison and it's like, oh, it tastes funky. It's like, well, it's meant to taste funky. But yeah, but that is, that to me, like say, when, when you're smelling it, it's just pure apple juice, you know, like fresh pressed apple juice or really sort of almost scrumpy-esque cider you know that sort of that's the sort of aroma that i i, I get from that when yeah I... it's got i think the funk marries quite well with the with the apple in us it, it, it's like drinking a a, tr- a more traditional a more traditional cider um mm. i went on it definitely went on a big sort of cider down a cider rabbit hole during um the first the first lockdown and sort of discovering like pilton cider and ross on Wye and um, mm. A lot of others hop hide out in Sheffield. They always have a really great selection of uh, of like micro cideries, sort of the more yeah. modern cider places. So, drank some really really good cider over the last uh, year and a half or so. So I was I was very keen to see what would happen. Chucking the apples in the in the saison. That funkiness, like you say, it marries very well in in some respects. That it's almost it takes a back step. You know, you know it. You know it's there, but the forefront is it lets the apple do the work, and then that that apple character and that cidery note kind of mellows, and you get that little bit of saison character. You get that character of the 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 sort of the, the barnyard, the funkiness. But mm. the mainstay there is even even then the apple kind of is still there in subtle amounts that you still know it's there, and it, it's not dry, which I think some saisons can sometimes be along with that funkiness. It kind of like dries you out, whereas that I think is quite not light, but it's not it's not doing what a normal like you say. Maybe it's not sort of a hundred percent true to the style, but for me, if a saison's more more like that than what we've got there, I'd, I'd probably get on board more with saisons if they yeah. that lend themselves a bit to the more fruity end of the scale. I'm terrible at remembering what things taste like that I've drank in the past, but so I'll have to drink like some Saison DuPont in the next the next and few compare. weeks, yeah, and, and uh, to remind myself what, what it tastes like. I mean, I, something I say all the time, but because um, I'm a big fan of cask, I'm like, I'd really like to try this on cask, like a little bit warmer, yeah. a bit lower carb, through a, through a sparkler, obviously. Mm, obviously. That's, that's, the only, that's the only way. Because <laughs> um, the the quince saison on cask was really good, being served a bit warmer. Mm. You got much more of the 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 flavors from the quince. Yeah, it'd be interesting to try it differently. But it's yeah, how the aromas and flavors change. Like you say, that just that sort of drop in in temperature, just that little bit, just to see how that changes the character and the depth of it. That'd be that'd be interesting. But no, yeah. like I say, in, if, if saisons were more like that, I'd probably be more inclined to. To give them a go. Well, I brewed four fruited saisons last year. Um, I won't be brewing four fruited saisons <laughs> this year. Um, they're not they're not fast selling beers. No. Um, but the apple one, I think I will do again mm. because it's using that leftover apple pulp. And uh, regather the company that do that apple pressing. I, I do quite a few things with. So it's it's nice to sort of keep that link. And I think it would be nice to brew to brew this again. So I think uh, like I think it does does work quite well. So hopefully it will make another 
another appearance. One of the things I decided when I started the brewery was I wasn't going to use any um, flavour extracts or any fruit puree. Mm. So if anything's going to have fruit in it, then it's whole. the whole fruit has to arrive at the brewery yeah. and then I have to sort it out. So it's a sort of... It's nice to have a line in the sand, something to try and stick mm. to. So, but then the downside of that is that if I want to do an apple saison, I've got to wait till October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not something that you can do even quarterly, is it? You know, it's it's going to be every every year. But like you say, it's nice to have those those ethics of that. Well, when you've got such great produce on your doorstep, that it's almost worth waiting for, isn't it? You know, you can you can wait for that produce to be yeah, ready it, rather than just, oh, I can just get some puree and it can come from wherever and it, it'll lose its character and it and obviously it's not going to be the same quality, is it? Yeah, and I mean, the apples are all grown in people's gardens or allotments in Sheffield, so they're all very much Sheffield-grown apples. So, yeah, it's it's nice to have these sort of these uh, various seasonal beers sort of build the year around almost. So yeah. with Sheffield Organic Growers, we're going to... we're growing hops up the front of a new barn that they're building um so they're building a new a new building on their site to to manage the harvest and have a have a cold room and things um they're completely off grid where they are so the building alone will be powered by by solar panels and the wind turbine and then up the south facing uh, end of the barn we're going to grow I'm not sure how many hot plants we can fit in but as many as we can fit in along along the south face so then uh, every year we'll have a an annual green hop beer with these Sheffield grown grown hops. Not sure quite how many hops we'll get this first year, but uh, hopefully it's something that will build build a bit and we can make a bit of an event of it and invite people down if they've got hops as well and have a bit of a sort of yeah. open day. I quite like it's it's sort of always around the same time that um, Oktoberfest will be. It'd be quite nice mm. to champion some old-fashioned English, British beer culture, like green hot beers, which is starting to see mm. this uh, last couple of years seem to be seeing more and more. So it's nice that, that these things are making a bit of a comeback. And it's something that we touched on when, uh, again, when we came over last week, is that Mark over at Horse with he's involved in the um, the hop growing scheme over in Leeds, yeah. and he does his backyard brew every year. And that's Cascade, I believe, that people are just growing in the the back gardens, the front gardens, the allotments, wherever it may be. And he's got some hot plants to grow out on his, on his patio at the brewery. And it's, it's that resurgence because it's almost like you say, the English hops get a bit of a bad rap and obviously they're growing cascade. But if you go in English hops in particular is that the annual hop harvest used to be treated as a, as a holiday. You know, people take time off and go help with the, the hop harvest and go, you know, pick, pick the flowers and, and, and harvest them. And it, it'd be nice to have that, that heritage and that tradition back in terms of, well, we can almost either have localised events, not necessarily maybe a, a festival, so to speak, but a localised tap takeovers or, you know, a couple of events where certain bars, pubs, breweries, whatever it may be, have got casks or kegs of beers that are produced with English-grown hops and those that are grown in people's back gardens or wherever, because, again, it's that locality, you know, because those hops that, yes, they may be grown around Sheffield, around Leeds, wherever, whatever the event is, but each one will be slightly different of where it's grown and how much sun it's had, water profiles, soil chemistry, everything like that. And every every year's harvest and, and beers will be different. And it's it'd be nice to have that local festival and that locality again of, well, people all chipping in much with the fruit that what you do already is that, well, people can bring hops in as well as the fruit and exchange for, even if it's a pint when it's ready. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If they've grown 
something and they can get a pint, you know, it, it gives them, it's quite wholesome, you know, that they've contributed to it and it's quite satisfying that they've, they've contributed to that and they've, they've played a part in something that has a proper community feel and, and, and community spirit about it, which obviously your, your brewery is about and, and the projects that you're involved with that, that is a hundred percent what, what you're going for. And yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll we'll see more of those coming up. Should be, yeah. It's just a, yeah. It's a nice sort of celebration of English beer, of uh, beer in general. I think we craft mm. beer especially does get gets bogged down in hype and hop chasing, and it's nice to sort of go. I suppose what I'm most interested in generally these days is is these sort of is older styles. Hence why I'm brewing a, a, a rock of like the most unfashionable style you could possibly try and find, which is like an almost died out rye beer style from Germany. But to, yeah, just uh, look back at, at find old styles and and champion sort of that we've the sort of British British beer, British hops. There's uh, Yakima, the the big American hop producer, are, are doing these fresh frozen hops, and then you get them shipped over on an aeroplane frozen frozen at like sauce mm. mosaic or whatever but there's a there's a huge like environmental impact to to that like yeah i mean it. it's not the like the worst thing in the world but it, it has an impact and i think you i've got to got to think about it a little bit we sort of mm. the the brewery that i run is is electric it's not it's not gas fired a lot of small breweries are gas fired and our uh, our main supply is is of a renewable source in theory, I and mean, it's what we pay for for a renewable source of electric. So mm. we're trying to, or I'm trying to, Offset yeah, you, you try and you do the yeah. the right thing. I mean, it's not the cheapest thing I could be doing, and then trying to save as much water as possible. But brewing's pretty dreadful for water consumption but we do what we can. So being able to grow some hops in Sheffield on an organic site, we'll pick them, drive them up in my car, or if I can gather enough people with bicycles and trailers, we'll cycle them up to the brewery. <laughs> in tandem. Yeah, and, uh, and get them in same day or next day in, into the beer. Should be quite uh, should be quite a good, good little event. I think we're growing Yeoman, which is an old... It's not that old. I think it's a ex-commercial variety. It was grown commercially, but not anymore. It was bred in the seventies when a lot of other varieties were were being produced in the in the Y Valley. So it's uh, it's still an English hop that we're going to grow, and we'll see how well it grows all this way up north. Which Yorkshire's not renowned for uh, growing hops, but the uh, the guys I'm working with at Sheffield Organic Growers know know what they're doing. So. Yeah, like you said, it'd be interesting to, to give it a go. And it, it's just a it's just a nice thing to do. And like you say, just to have that community-led and community-driven project to get people involved and have that locality of where you're drinking, like you say, to to have that, well, it's made using products that are sourced within a X mile radius or whatever it is. It just it just adds to the experience, doesn't it? You know, it's just I saw something today, I think it's in the, the Pellicle magazine, is that somebody was trying to make a New England IPA just using all English hops. 
because trying to dismiss the sort of the, the the myth and the fallacy that well all English hops are just boring, earthy, savory hops, you know. And, and I think they've had a resurgence, you know, your likes of your Jester, your Olicana, yeah. Harlequin, those sort of hops. They're all they're all having a bit of a resurgence. And I I must admit I only I only skim read the article because I was at work, but skim read to the to the bottom and said, did it work? And it was a almost a resounding yes. And it's it'll be interesting to see if people sort of change the dynamic of well we don't need to go to the southern hemisphere of australia and new zealand for these sort of 90 percent, 95 percent hot uh hot bills of wherever they're from either america or australia new zealand say well we can chuck a bit more in from from england and yes it's going to be a different product but we can still make a, a you know a hazy juicy new england or a ipa just using hops that are more locally sourced and our carbon foot carbon footprint is is a lot lesser than like you say buying these f- fresh fresh frozen hops from yakima um, yeah. or wherever else they i mean get them from. I, I'm, I'm always going to be using like american and i mean the next beer that's that I'm, that's coming out like end of this week meaning the next is is mosaic popped american pale so i mean i'm still going to use hops from america and from australia but it's nice to see that the English shops are having a resurgence and Charles Farham, the the sort of the hop wholesalers are putting a lot of money into hop breeding programs for, for UK hops. Mm. Um, and like you mentioned, Olicana, I, I did a beer, I think last year, year before with, with Olicana. Um, yeah. You're definitely getting some of those flavors that are more viewed as being from American hops. Um, and I think Abby, mm. Abbeydale did a, did a one of their hot back series with with Olicana. Yeah, and the UK hot fruity, fruity pale ale. And I think with yeah. more modern brewing techniques that we're that we've got now, you can get a lot more out of the hops that you've you've got. I I mean I use Doenda First Gold, UK hop, very sort of a lot of orange, citrus orange flavours from it, especially like later, later editions and hop stands and hot backs. Well, that's it. I think people just see the sort of the classic ones, don't they? like the Fuggles and the, the East Kent Goldens and obviously things that have been traditionally used for many, many years. And obviously beers evolved and hops have evolved and growing techniques. And like you say, the science and the technology behind the growing and the cultivation of these hops is is leaps and bounds above what it was. And likes of, you know, the Incognito, the Pellets, the T90, all these things that we get. If we can get the best of these hops, that albeit might not be as sort of, oh my God, they're amazing as the American or the sort of southern hemisphere hop varieties even if we can just even cherish or sort of bring the best out of those english hops and even bring new english hops out you know there's nothing to say that we can't have a, a hop breeding program which i'm sure there is to to bring out constant new varieties of english hops like the american ones to keep pushing the boundaries and pushing the sort of the yeah, i mean it's the, the uk hop breeding program's definitely there like i mean olicana's not a that's not been around that long i think when i brewed with olicana i used one that hadn't got a name yet as well like hb 482 or Whatever, whatever numbers yeah. it got. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's Charles. That's what Charles Farham, the the hop wholesalers, are, are doing at the moment. There, they're definitely definitely a lot of research into into getting these fruitier fruitier English hops. No, and that's it. And like you say, the the usage of the American stuff's not going to go away. You know, it's it's not people. Are talking, well, I'm not going to use mosaic or citra or simcoe or centennial, whatever it might be. Obviously, it's always going to be there because ultimately, if you you know a lot of these craft beer breweries and what have you were, were brought up on that and that's what they know but if it's just a, a small again it's like we said earlier a small percentage of change to well we can use more localized hops and ingredients then it it's just a it's just a, a better change in the right direction of sort of making a more sustainable 
industry, planet, environment, and it just it just makes everything a little bit better because, like it or not, we we are going to have to start thinking about these things more and more and more. And and unless we change, we're we're going to hit a crisis point where it's like, well, we can't get these American hops yeah. anymore. You know, we, we we can't get them. You know, it'll either be it'll be cost ineffective. You know, the price will be so high that we won't be able to get them, and then it's like, well, crap, we don't know about it. What do we do? And it's like that's it game over and it's it's just the it goes along with the uh the sort of some of the older older sort of traditional uk styles getting a bit of a getting a bit of a resurgence like pentridge did a did a scotch ale with uh cult of oak i think um just recently i mean that's a really old really old style mm. i had polly's best bitter on keg like end of last year which like if you'd asked me at the beginning of last year i'd like you'd never have seen that that coming um just before um covid and everything the, the last thing i did was um indie beer feast the craft beer festival in sheffield that mm. hideout put on yeah, yeah and there were five cask milds at what is a very very modern looking craft beer festival which was brilliant but mm. as a sort of i grew up in the midlands drinking cask mild like that was like all my christmases had come at once it's brilliant. Like I'd love to brew. Fill me with all the miles. Yeah, I'd love to brew more mile, but uh, unfortunately, it's not quite got um, enough sales outlets yet. But I definitely, I'll, I'll be brewing a mile for uh, for May's mild month. I think Camera's mild month is May, so I'll be I'll be mild out in May. No, that's it. And like you said there, that, that Pentridge, I think they've kind of almost carried the torch for for cask beer, and recently Verdant have said that they're just on a bitter and doing more cask. All right. Um, speaking with Alex last week at North, they've said that they're going to start doing more cask. You know, they've done a best bitter and they're going to start putting likes of transmission and things out in cask. So yeah, I mean, Torside Tor down in Derbyshire. I mean, they've staunchly only put stuff in. I don't know if they do any keg, but um, but cask and bottles. I'm pretty sure they do keg actually. Mm. But they've been very very trad, I suppose, through their through their life. And the, the, what Torside have producing is is phenomenal like it's brilliant and it's fair play to them because it's like we, we have a beer culture like no other country in the world in terms of how we produce it and the cask element of of beer and and countries are envious of what we've got you know americans that come over for for hop city you know they'll come over hop city and they want pints of timmy taylor's landlord on cask <laughs> and it's like really you know it's like really it's like you and it's but it's because we've got this phenomenal heritage of cask beer and beer and all this history that we really don't appreciate you know yeah, where like yeah. i want that i want that from america i want that from wherever and everyone's like well no you've got this scene of of cask beer and this heritage and this history and we just really it's really undervalued and underappreciated and hopefully you know like see yourselves and other brewers that can do the more traditional styles but even doing the, hop, the hoppy and hazy stuff you know you can do hoppy and hazy beers on cask you know it doesn't have to be traditional you know what i mean you can you can do these other yeah i mean most of most of my cask output is is pretty hoppy like by traditional pale ale standards mm. and and most of mine says it as well because i don't use any finings yeah. um use a bit of sort of a little bit of kettle finings but none of my beers are, are, are fined but yeah there's still a place for like um i mean the pentridge are the, are the people that you really gotta look to for that like these amazing modern hopped pale ales on cask mm. and they're they're absolutely absolutely outstanding I mean, me and a friend have got some beer coming up from um from larkins brewery in kent mm. which uh a brewery, they've got their own hop farm and it's 
like the traditional British beer. Like they brew a bitter, a best bitter, a pale. Quintessentially British, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's all all the hops they use that they're growing them, and like they're using all this ancient kit to to pick the to to sort of process the hops once they're picked, and just that sort of phenomenally high quality beer designed for cask. I mean, in the next sort of month or so, that's what I'm most excited about. I mean, I'm going to North Brew in like a few weeks, but I'm probably more excited about my uh, mini kegs of best bitter coming from Kent than I am about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not to say that what North Brew have got on isn't amazing. It says more about me, I think. But it, but it's each their own, isn't it? And that's the thing is that we all sort of enjoy different things and we all get our kicks in different ways and different styles and different beers, you know. And and I've certainly become to or come to appreciate cask beer more in these last sort of 12 to 18 months beforehand where I just dismiss it for the, the hoppy and juicy stuff. Whereas now I've kind of got to understand it a bit more and appreciate it for what it is and what it's not and and things like that and ultimately without cask beer traditional styles of beer we won't be where we are today and it's like well we've got to cherish that and understand it and appreciate it for, for what it is and what it's done for the you know for the industry as a whole because otherwise we just wouldn't simply have the craft beer that we have today and ultimately this craft beer scene was started by the americans trying to make chuffin landlord and it's ridiculous like i say it's ridiculous when you think about it but <laughs> yeah. that's that's where it came from you know that that's where it is and and if we didn't do it and we didn't cherish it and if it disappeared i think the beer landscape would be all the poorer for it you know and all these breweries that you know there's a skill to making cask beer you know and it, that's the thing is that cask beer sometimes gets treated as a second class citizen in in comparison to keg and i think that's quite unfair yeah, I think I think it's a bit of an image problem. Like it's this old man pubs mm. and and pubs serving cask being inaccessible to to a lot of people because they can be they can feel sort of I can't, I can't think of the words, but uh, that often pubs that don't feel welcoming to outsiders. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's there's more there's more to do, a lot more to do to make to make it more accessible. But I think cask beer should be for everybody yeah. and. As long as hopefully you can get more more pubs that are more welcoming to to everybody, and I mean Jeff, after champion Sheffield, but we've got some some fantastic cask led pubs that are welcoming mm. to everybody, that that are nice, friendly, safe spaces, and they're also cask led, which is brilliant. Like I mean, I went to well, I delivered Shakespeare's today. And um, I mean, to be honest, if it wasn't for Shakespeare's and um, I mean, Walkley Beer Co, probably more, even more so, um, which is my local, Grizzly Grains wouldn't, wouldn't be here. I mean, if it wasn't, wasn't for them yeah, too, yeah. they've been outstandingly supportive, keep buying my beer um, and it keeps selling. So You're doing something right, mate. Clearly. Well, let's hope so. Um, if it wasn't for those two places, then... Uh, then I wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So um, it's it's great mm. to have these uh, these pubs. Yeah, hundred percent, mate, hundred percent. And and when we went to Shakespeare's, I was like you touched on earlier. I was I was surprised at the the broad range of availability of the casks, the kegs, and even the even the taps for the mainstream stuff. You know, they they pretty much ticked every box for everybody. You know, they had the cask beer, the keg beer, and the really you know hypey stuff. And then even like Guinness, Carlin, Coors, yeah. whatever it might have been. You know that everybody would have got a drink no matter who you were in that pub and it was just like that's the sort of pub that we need you know that's the that's every you know because there's always that one person a group of friends that doesn't drink cask or keg or they're like lager or whatever it is and and they can just 
everyone can get a drink and, and that's what you want like you say it's been a more welcoming and opening space and whoever walks in will get something they enjoy and that's what you want I, mean, I think when we went they got they got a low-key low-key brewery like um imperial stout like tap takeover so i think they've got four four or five imperial stouts on cask i mean there can't be many pubs in the country that can that can have five imperial stouts on cask on it and be confident they're going to shift yeah. them. <laughs> but, but they did. I mean, I, I went and they got delivered one week and they got this whiskey barrel aged honey imperial sour. It was like 11.5% full mm. of honey, whiskey cask aged. Just unbelievable. I mean, eye wateringly expensive, but I got given a sample it. and sat, the sample alone must have been about four quid's worth of beer. Yeah, well, that's it. It's, it's some of this, even. even... On the cask stuff, like you say, it's not cheap and and carries its carries its cost, doesn't it? And they've got to kind of make the money back on cask, given its short shelf life anyway. You know, so to have the confidence to put those sort of beers on and go, we'll shift that. Yeah, I, I'd yeah, like it's amazing. Have, I'd like I'd like to have their confidence. I'd I'd love to have their confidence of shifting something like that on cask. But yeah, it's um, it's just if if they can sell it, mate, they can get rid of it. Then then fair play. To I them. mean, yeah, they're. They're they're an unbelievable place, and and these the, the places like it all over really. I think um, I did, went to Smithfields in Derby, which is another sort of um, classic camera pub. I, I delivered, I know, Wednesday lunchtime, and the pub's full. It's like there's no there's no there's no available seating inside, which is ridiculous for a Wednesday. Yeah, they've got eight cask lines on, and so I, I just hope that these places that this sort of that things continue to improve and these places are still here because if if they're not here then i won't be here so yeah just get out drink cask that's it that's my slogan what more <laughs> impetus and, and motivation do you need that's that's it end of but on that note sam before we look to to wrap this episode up you're giving us a little insight into the sort of coming 12 months and i know that you don't necessarily plan that far ahead but for what plans that you sort of do plan a couple of months in advance what 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 does 2022 look look like for you at the moment uh, it looks it looks all right i think going forward like i've got i've got some beer going to or well, it hasn't been brewed yet because it's a while off but uh Jew, jewsbury beer festival it's called dice i think okay it's organized by the beer houses independent pub group who own well the only one i can remember is the Staley bridge buffet bar they own that and a few others, their beer festival in Dewsbury. So I've got, mm. I've got a, a one-off cask beer going there, hopefully some other beer festivals. But it's, to me at the moment, beer festivals seem like some sort of mystical closed shop. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how on earth you get your beer on beer festivals. Uh, luckily, uh, luckily enough to get some, uh, the Robin Hood Beer Festival in Nottingham last year, Mm. Um, I had two casks on there, which seems which went down well, and we I managed to go down for a for a business research trip, tax deductible business to, trip. <laughs> yeah, to test as many as I could. Yeah, and I've got uh, got some stuff. Got a beer coming out for Sheffield Beer Week, which is beginning of March, mm-hmm. uh, which will be a collaboration with Walkley Beer Co. So I'm quite excited for that. And then yeah, the Green Hop Green Hop Harvest event, much much later in the year. Other than that, don't really know. Just open to interpretation. Yeah, there'll be load more weird niche, small batch brews of obscure malt forward styles. Yeah, I mean at the moment I, these days, I'm generally looking about 
don't know, three weeks, four weeks in a, ahead mm. and try not to panic too much. But at the moment, like the next 12 months is looking all right. Last year I did a beer with the Sheffield Wheat Experiment, which is a, a community project growing wheat around Sheffield in gardens and allotments um, and some food growing projects to develop a wheat crop that's specific to Sheffield's climate um, and it's a, it's a sort of mixed wheat crop rather than a, than a heritage wheat mm. rather than a sort of modern monocultured wheat and I got in touch with them and we brewed a um, brewed a beer, small batch bottle release using the wheat grown by people in Sheffield, which I torrified by torrified myself in an oven. And then we made this beer. And then the plan is to make another one later on this year, which I'm quite excited about. I mean, as far as my like turnover of beer and, and income goes, it's a very small, non-existent part of it. But it's it feels like it's feels like it's a more important project to be involved in yeah grow some wheat locally because all the wheat all the uh, grain you use in the breweries big commercially grown monocultures they're not really great for the environment so it's nice to do something that's got a little bit more meaning to it so i'm looking forward to brewing that again later on this year which involves having a load of people down for a collaboration and and then some events once the beer is ready where we all come together and and drink it it all comes back full circle almost doesn't it? it's that that point what we were talking about earlier is the the locality and that that importance is more than the the sort of like they say the the monetary value of the the ongoing sales which are important but it's that that sort of heritage and that sort of locality of things that you're you're striving towards and promoting and cherishing as a, a small independent brewer in, in, in your local your local community and your local environment that you are aware of what you're doing and who you collaborate with and and who you work with and where your ingredients are coming from, which is is massively important. You know, it, it's hugely important. And I think that is only testament to to you as a, an individual and sort of coming from that background of working for the charities and the companies that, that you have done and that you continue to support and and keep working with. So I've got a, a bottle of the the beer that you've mentioned, the the one with the the Sheffield Wheat program there. I've got that in the in the box that you that you kind of sent to me. So I look forward to, to giving that a go with the, the bread October um, and the other, the other saisons that are in the box. And I'll, I'll be sure to, to send on my feedback to, to how I found them, especially like say the, the sourdough, the sourdough one. I, yeah, I just look to don't that. go on untapped and rate them all as 0. 0.5. Don't <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Saison's not my thing. Yeah. Not 0. 0.5. Yeah. Not my cup of tea. No, I, it's, it's, no, I, I, I'm very, I'm very fair, and I wouldn't do that to you, mate. So I, w- I wouldn't do that to you. So Five's all the way then. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, five out of five, every single one. Yeah, the other way, the other way. Um, but Sam, thank you, thank you very much for joining. Uh, thank you very much for the for the beers that you supplied uh, pre-record. Uh, I very much appreciate, it and I look forward to meeting you again in person sometime in the future and seeing you at an event. And if you're over at the, the festival in Dewsbury, that's not very far from where I am. Um, so if I'm available on those dates, if you're there, I'll hopefully be able to make a trip over and, and come and see you and, and sample the beer that you're brewing specially for them. But in the meantime, Sam, for people that are listening, where can people find out more about what's going on with Grizzly Grains? Um, I'm on social media, obviously, till we all get banned for selling booze. Um, 
so yeah uh, search for grizzly grains on twitter facebook instagram and you'll you'll find me um profile pictures just a bear um and then if you're in sheffield generally if you go for the the sort of classic Kellam Island pubs like Shakespeare's Kellam Island Tavern Fat Cat usually got something on or just finished or about to go on in one of those perfect mate well thank you very much so if anybody's around in Sheffield try a beer and Sam I'll uh, I'll see you sometime soon great thank you very much thanks for having me on Stephen been great welcome back huge thanks to Sam for joining me and also thanks for the beers he kindly provided ahead of us recording as well I hope you enjoyed it I thought it'd be nice to hear from a small producer in this ever-growing craft beer scene. It's often all too easy to focus on the big guys, so it's nice to have someone like Sam in the spotlight and on the podcast. It's interesting that despite him having a relatively small-scale brewery and small reach in and around Sheffield, that he's got a growing demand in that local area for his cask beers. I'm genuinely interested to see what other funky saisons he brings out, and which other businesses that he collaborates with over the course of 2022. And I'm genuinely looking forward to trying the sourdough-started beer that he gave me in the box of beers that he handed to me before the podcast was recorded. As always, any feedback for this show is welcomed, and I hope you continue to like this new format. Any feedback, comments, suggestions, any ways that you think I can improve the show, please do get in touch, either by sending me a message or contacting me at pointsofbrew at gmail.com. Likewise, any positive reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts would hugely help the visibility of the show and improve its reach and get to new listeners who enjoy listening to beer podcasts. So if you get time to leave a review, please do so. And I'd be very, very thankful for for doing that as well as sending any feedback or comments that you might have. But until next time, bye for now. (laughs) 